I, I think it's crazy that Kyle, being the audio person that he is, we do a podcast every fucking week, and it's taking <laughs> no, no idea what's going on. In ten minutes to find headphones, <laughs> like we do a podcast every week at the same desk. It's not even like I'm <laughs> jeez. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta keep it fresh, bro. Oh my god. <laughs> he says the audio professional. What the fuck is wrong with these things? <laughs> you are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones, as well as the A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser microphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath asked us to read this. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? No, because the tree was using one of those mics with an on and off switch on it, and those are always off just when you need to hear them the most. Welcome back to the Signal and Noise podcast, Pro Sound Web. I'm your host, Ryan John. I'm joined by Chris Leonard, <laughs> Kyle Turnside. What's up, fellas? Man, Ryan, your voice He's is gonna, uh, we're gonna, well, we're gonna, you know, We're going to mention him every show. I figure I might as well just get out of the way. We can get on with the episode now. Uh, so here we are. Chris, how are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm beat. I've done a bunch of yard work the past two days. Kyle, you won a golf tournament. I didn't right? win. I just played. It was you, fun. You, you won, won something. You won a hat. He did one of those cream machine things. Did a participation things? hat, or did yeah. you actually earn the hat? Participation was a raffle. Actually. Everybody got a hat? Nope. Uh, all, only the uh, caddies. He was just the guy who drove around. Everybody. Oh, he drove the cart? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Drink cart. <laughs> Fantastic. I had a pair of pit uh, vipers on, and I was going, sheesh, the entire time. <laughs> So, Kyle, I got to tell you before we get to our guest this episode. Uh, so, I'm sitting at my desk on Friday uh, or Thursday, and uh, our tech support guy says, Can I transfer a call to you? This guy can't get his SPL rate going. I said, Yes. Yeah. His, his name is Jim Rose. I go, I know, I know that name, Jim Rose. Uh, so, I take the call, and he's calling from the New York State Ferries. He's there with Melissa Etheridge. And I go, You know, I can be there in 45 minutes. And he's like, Yeah, that'd be so awesome if you come out. So, drove out. Met Jim, and you know, based on what you've told me about Jim and, and, and his work, and obviously I've I've followed his kind of his Midas videos and stuff for a long time, so I was really excited to go meet him. Cool dude. I got to stay for the show. It was an awesome mix. I got to see the uh, the Heritage D a little bit, and Jim and I had a great time walking around the fair and having French fries, man. So did you did you guys get funnel cakes? That's all that matters. He, you know what? I had tacos, and Jim was like, I, "You don't usually eat at this point in the day, but just because we're at a fair, I think I'm gonna do some fries." So we went to the fries truck. Yeah. And it was a great time. Tis state fair we, time right now. It's yeah, good. and you know what? We're we're on the same wavelength about a lot of stuff. You know, we kind of have a lot of similar approaches when it comes to mixing and systems and stuff. So I had I had a great time, man. So that was cool. It w- it was yeah. a pleasure mixing for Melissa. What a great band! What a man, what she's great awesome crew, too. great band. Like everything about that thing was was super fun. I only got to do a couple weeks with her, but. Um, Amazing! It was. It was. Is, we had fun. Is that the tour when you got stuck in the desert? Because the bus broke. <laughs> yeah, the band bus broke down. <laughs> and we, we sat behind him for hours. Yep. That's great. All right. So uh, our guest this week is Mr. Jesse Vitrone. He's an audio engineer and producer. He's currently the house uh, the house tech at the Fillmore in Charlotte. 
Uh, and we're going to talk a lot about that. And actually, was, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation because we haven't really talked about the sort of house tech position too much on the show. Uh, Jesse, welcome to the show, man. Yay. Thanks, sir. Thank you, guys. Charlotte in the house. Happy to be here. Yeah, where are you joining us from? Are you joining us from Charlotte right now? Uh, I'm just outside of Charlotte. I live in Concord. I just commute. It's like 20 minutes, so. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jesse, what's the coolest thing with arm's reach? The coolest thing within arm's reach? Uh... I knew this was coming. Uh, I didn't really think show. about it too much. <laughs> That's uh, two listeners. I'm gonna say probably um, I have some concert tickets up here. Um, honestly, most of these are from before I was involved in the industry. Um, when you still like music, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, me and my fiance, we've framed all of our concert tickets that we went to, and some of them are pretty special. I mean, one of them is the first show that I went to of any note, which was the Smashing Pumpkins uh, back in, like, 2008. Uh, my parents took me, and I realized that I love rock and roll, and it uh, fucked my head up forever, and here I am. Hey. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's probably it. Lots of good memories in those frames, so that's cool. Yeah. I kind of dig that because it's sort of like it's. I think it can be so easy sometimes to kind of lose sight of like what initially made us all want to do this type of work for a living. So I think that's yeah. There you go. Kyle's got all his, his so sword badges since there. we're on yeah. the thing with the frames, this is my arm reach. So my that's my, huge. My dude. stepdaughter Haley made it. So his arm or what's never mind. That's uh, <laughs> all passes from different stuff I worked throughout the years. Of course, I have a huge stack left, but she made this for me for Christmas. I came in and unwrapped it it's just some of the cooler things she actually picked out all the ones that she thought was cool um so there's some good ones wow. in here but i'm glad he went with the frame thing and it is quite ironic about how jaded we get it's kind of like walking into a venue now we're listening for other things that we weren't listening for before last mm-hmm. last time you know like listening smashing pumpkins for instance for jesse like in 2008 that was huge you know and um maybe not even thinking about how it sounded or whatever it was more of a feeling and an inspiration at that point and Mm -hmm. it's cool to have those little reminders of chapters of our lives when we actually gave a shit about what um that band was (laughs) yeah i i think that folds back right into the house guy thing too like without jumping trying to jump right into it like being a house guy you're not exactly choosing the gigs that you work, so it's easy to very quickly be over it if you're not careful and you kind of forget why you're there. Um, and I, I do want to make sure we talk about that, like the burnout thing. I think that's an important thing. I've, I've gotten a couple emails from people in the last few weeks asking about that type of thing, so I definitely want to make sure we talk about that. Too. We just went back to work. How could they be I know, dude. now? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's your advice from Kyle Turnside. How dare you be burned out? How dare you Chris be Leonard, burned. what's the coolest thing you got within arm's reach? Um, so I have this little miniature uh, like leaf blower. Yes, it is. Is that an echo? <laughs> and it, ac- it actually works. It's like USB. It, like, plugs into your computer, and you can, like, blow, like, the dust off your desk and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Where did you get that? I don't know. It was, like, a gag gift that, like, <laughs> one of the one of the PMs at work, he bought, like, 20 of them and put one on, like, everyone everybody's desk at work one time. And, like, I, I plugged it in, like, once before, but... 
I like how it's not loud, but it's incredibly annoying. That's, I love that's it. so good. I, I, I <laughs> definitely, I definitely want one. Yeah, awesome. I love it. Michael. I've got a, uh, I got a, a hat, a roadie clinic hat that yes. Paul and Courtney Clemson sent me. I wore it out when I was going to. It was a pretty hot day when I was going out to uh, meet Jim and, and work on his rig with him, and I wanted to shade my sensitive head, so I wore the roadie clinic hat. So shout out to Paul and Courtney Clemson at the roadie clinic. They got awesome Let's stuff give them a little there. little love right now. Let's tell them, you know, hey, now yeah. that we're back on the road and you're getting so burnt out at work. <laughs> um, give Paul and Courtney a shout. All of a month back in, yeah. yeah. All yeah. Of a month. Yeah, they actually have. Um, they actually just put some new merch out um, to to help support. They're sponsoring a stage at some festival. Um, yeah. It's very, you know, they started right as like the pandemic kind of started. So like they really didn't get to. Um, they didn't get to you know help the industry when it was you know alive and well and so as the industry's starting to come back i think mm-hmm. you know um yeah it's definitely a resource you know people need to people need to check out so um uh roadyclinic.com couldn't and couldn't oh, i'll just people. say no absolutely and we should get them we should actually get them back on the show yes. kyle we should set that back up um also, if you buy any merch from the Signal Noise podcast uh, store, which is a thing that we have because Chris made one, uh, a portion of all that does go to support the Roadie Clinic as well. So you can kill two birds with one stone and get yourself a very dashing t-shirt or the leggings. Uh, I know Arika Russ has a legging. She likes them. <laughs> and uh, and you'll support, uh, support a good cause as well. All right. This concludes our... our uh, at theroadyclinic.com. Oh, Sorry, the, I, I was theroadyclinic.com. I, I, I was I was checking the URL because I said it, and I'm like, I'm not sure if it's right. And I'm pretty yeah. sure that has been in the description of every episode for like a year and a half now. Also, so people it can has been yeah. Scroll on down. I, I, that's assuming people actually look down there, but you know. Yeah. So let's talk about being the house guy, because so I I've kind of got a little perspective on this. I'm I'm the I'm a contractor for a college theater, but anything over like you know a person's talking at a lectern they're calling me so i'm effectively the house tech there um so i've dealt with you know sort of my share at least of of stuff that's coming through but i mean it's definitely not it's not where all of my working hours go so jesse i think we should jump in there i mean how did you come into what's your journey been thus far and how did you end up where you are yeah pumpkins exhibit a yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely um yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of people in the industry, uh, I got interested and involved uh, because I was into music and uh, I wanted to be in a band. I was always in and out of bands through middle school and high school. Um, my uh, dad is a, I guess I would say kind of like an audiophile and synthesizer nerd. Um, so that's kind of something I was always being exposed to. Uh, he was always like bringing home the best speakers he could get his hands on and, you know, playing his favorite sort of like reference tracks, if you will, and, uh, kind of nerding out on that. So, uh, I, I guess through my whole childhood, I was kind of exposed to that, but then, uh, I got into playing guitar. I wanted to start a band. Uh, I spent most of my high school years listening to Hendrix and like watching the sun come up if you will and uh messing with guitar pedals and signal flow and that sort of thing um I got really into trying to produce my own music you know uh I think that's been really popular over the last 
20 <laughs> years the bedroom producer is almost a uh, cliche in of itself but do you make beats i i i do not make beats anymore i have made some beats anymore. i've sworn off making beats uh, <laughs> i swore off the bedroom produ- i tried it when we were in high school i tried it once there was a software at that time called n track studio i don't i should look up what happened to that but it was like reaper sort of and uh we did one song and I was like, "Oh, that's fucking horrible! I don't want everyone to do that again." So that was that was the end of my veteran yeah. producer phase. Um, I, I like I, that we all have had kind of the stint with that. You know, that's one of the mm-hmm. things. Like, I remember getting my hand on one of the Tascam four tracks with the cassette. Oh, the blue ones? Yep. Yeah, dude, I have one of those. Yeah, and doing band practices with those things and sitting them down and trying to mix them and like, I'd listen to Metallica and then I'd listen to our stuff and I was like, "Yeah, it's probably." but i got i did beats too i make fun of it um i actually have a soundcloud up that has about three or four songs that i did in whoa dude i know you've been holding out this whole time man 117 episodes you haven't told us this what was that jay and silent bob thing what you don't know about me you can about fit in the grand fucking canyon (laughs) i remember you you mentioned that in the past kyle like this idea that Hey, it's going to tape and it's coming right back off the tape. So you're like, if we didn't like the sound of the kick, we would like go move the mic somewhere else or yeah. like tune the drum differently. Like kind of that that very Chris Mitchell, like let's get the source to do what we want, you know, and because and, you didn't have other options, you know? Nope. It, it, Jess, you could probably speak on it too, man. Sitting there mixing your own stuff is the most critical you could ever be of yourself and anything else. So it's never going to be perfect. I... I there's got to almost be a separation between the musician and the mixer mm. because it, it you just spiral down a hole. Like, you might get one song that you get all the way through and you're kind of like, oh, that's good enough, blah, blah, blah. But then you get something that's like a passion project and you'll just, it's like, you never finish it. It's never done. You're you're so right. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad to hear someone else say that because it just... <laughs> When when I got into trying to use Ableton, uh, basically our drummer and our bass player, they went back to school. So we started trying to fill out the rest of the band with Ableton, but then also we started kind of, you know, getting really long-winded on what else can we do with this. And every time I would go to write music, it would turn into this session of, like, before I knew it, I was sitting there just, like metering outputs of different plugins and like checking to see if they were doing what I thought they were doing and 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 like basically just fully like right brand working on the technical side of what's happening in the doll and simultaneously it made me realize like I don't want to work on music in this way but also that I have this love of this other side of what music is in the production aspect and the technical aspect so um at first, that was kind of uncomfortable, but then I sort of learned to maybe sort of separate those things and say, well, I can love production and mixing and the live experience and the technical aspect, and I can still love music and the creative aspect of it separately. Um, and sort of in my journey, that's where I sort of separated, and I do my personal music ventures in like a very uh, analog way now, which has its own cliches so you know i hesitate to say that but i like working that way because i don't get bogged down in the doll it's like Mm. you press record you're supposed to play the song 
that's it. You can do some overdubbing, but you've only got eight channels. That's it. You can't get bogged down in trying to like mix while you're doing it. Um, but it is also the thing that introduced me to understanding and loving the technical aspect that is both live sound and uh, recording and production. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think that's cool. So at what point did you sort of get your feet wet in the live thing? You know, how did you jump from there to, to house engineer? So I was doing a lot of, uh, during this time, like I was getting out of high school, I was taking whatever jobs I could get doing different, I was like a barista or a server, these different like service industry jobs. Uh, I had a really great mentor in music who was a guitar teacher of mine who gave me opportunities to be a music teacher uh and inside of that we would do recitals they were also being contracted to do uh festivals for the town uh so we would do these like outdoor uh you know maybe five six hundred people things in the town green you know pull out some speakers pull out some mixer that they had from the 80s and (laughs) technically turn up some microphones (laughs) and (laughs) people were wrapping cables around their shoulder or around their elbow and but it's like we made it work and so i i cut my teeth on doing that and sort of like being that guy for a while of just like he's the guy that can make that work and he does the sound for all the recitals uh that kind of extended into working for friends' bands, doing a recording. You know, sometimes they'd be playing at a local venue and they'd say, well, we trust him to mix this. Mm. So I would start showing up to venues where everything's patched, but you can sort of walk up and mix it. You know, one of those deals where you don't unpatch the sub snake, those types of <laughs> venues, mm-hmm. you know, because nobody knows what anything is, but it's all labeled so you can mix it. Um, so I did a lot of stuff like that, and then uh, basically I just found out um, that the uh, the venue I work at, the Fillmore, was hiring. I applied. Uh, I showed up, and I just tried to learn as much as I could. I was really lucky that there were some really cool people there that were willing to deal with how green I was, and uh, I just leaned into it super hard. And uh, you know, over the course of a couple years, I found myself being one of the guys that had sort of been been around the longest I guess and uh and that's kind of how I am where I'm at at least in that in that venue in that space yeah so what percentage of your days or your shows or you know the acts that come in like what percentage of those are you mixing what percentage of those are you supporting a touring engineer how's that lay out for you yeah um I would say that that in our venue um maybe 50% of the days that I'm on hand, it's a tour. 50% of the days, it's like a rental or a special event or a local act or something like that. Uh, on the days where it's a rental um, or or something local, we, we are the audio crew for those. And, and that can be a, a variety of things. It can be a DJ. It can be uh, a band playing a corporate event with 35 inputs or whatever uh, or it can just be audio from a computer and doing a projector like almost like a corporate type thing it can be a lot of different things uh, with the touring bands uh, you know we mix the opener sometimes um, but it, it really it can go a lot of different ways I mean we we have everything from uh, don't touch a case 
and wait for catering to we fired somebody yesterday and we need you to mix mm. the headliner um, plus the openers. So it's it's very dynamic. It can be a lot of different things from day to day. I, I, what I like about it, a lot of people, I think there's this, there's this preconception that I've encountered, or I'll say misconception that I've encountered, that you know the house tech position is like boring or repetitive it's the same thing over and over again and that has not been my experience i mean i get such a wide variety of things that come in like you said sometimes it's just stay out of the person's way sometimes it's you have to run this whole thing sometimes it's you're the system tech for the day sometimes it's you're gonna make some monitors today sometimes it's oh the video projector won't turn on you gotta go take that thing apart so like i do such a wide variety of things it's been really helpful for me to get experience on different types of equipment and doing this work in different capacities. And I, you know, it's how I know how to read a lighting plot and to program a lighting. Like I've learned a lot of stuff that's sort of tangential to, to what I usually do. And I think that's made me a, a much better, more well-rounded professional. So I, I really appreciate the sort of the house gig. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of what we do too, and I'm realizing this now more than ever, uh, I think a lot of what we do sometimes is almost just like, uh, you know, especially on touring days, we're we're there to, to support people and make sure that mm. when they show up for this gig today, that like hopefully they have their best chance at success. Uh, you know, and I realize just from talking to people that, um, you know, a lot of these venues people show up to, uh, you know, either they're locked out of the processor or the house guy doesn't care or you know the the pm is <laughs> the pm's an asshole or you know uh, stop talking about kyle <laughs> well he's told kyle's got all kinds of stories about breaking into people's processors so, yeah I mean, yeah well and you know i would say maybe a couple of years ago uh when i was first getting into it like maybe out of insecurity i would have been like how dare they suggest they do that but now um having been around the block a little bit i guess and just understanding that you know at the end of the day they just they just need what they need out of the system and as long as they're not breaking anything who are you to think you know what the processor needs to be or what's right for them on that day and um so yeah you know we i just try to be i just try to be open to help them have their best show and um and help them have a good day too and I've gotten to travel a little bit, um, you know. I haven't done a full eight weeks on tour or anything like that yet. I'm I'm hoping to do that soon, but uh, you know, I've been I've done some weekend warrior stuff where we do th- three four days in a row, and I'm in a weird city, and and you show up somewhere and somebody starts putting up walls, and you're just like, I really don't need this today. Like I I slept on a floor, and uh, <laughs> I have an hour to put this together, and like you don't have to be putting up walls to me today. Like I'm not going to break your PA, you know, which is the PA is just a couple of powered speakers, you know, it's, it's <laughs> going to be fine. Like, uh, and, and so, yeah, I just try not to be that guy, you know, just try to yeah. try to give people a good day. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So are you, are you directly involved in the advancing process or do you have a PM in the picture? How's that work? Yeah. Fortunately, uh, we have a really great PM, had to fill more uh anybody listening who's come through charlotte in the last couple years has probably talked uh with our pm scooter she's incredible um but uh in in the past i completely left that up to management uh recently i've kind of taken it upon myself to just put out 
a little additional feeler to their tour manager or their audio person and just say, hey, just so you know, I'm I'm here if you need anything. Uh, you know, if you have any extra questions or you just need an extra point of contact about what's on deck, uh, I try to make myself available for that. But generally yeah. uh, in our house, the production manager's hand- handling all the actual advancing. Uh, I've, I found it really helpful on both sides, both when I'm coming into someone's venue and when I am the venue person to just get the direct contact with the other audio human, you know, and just, we don't have to talk about anything. If you're busy, that's cool. I just want you to have my number and have my email and give me a call if you, if you need something, because sometimes it's, it's unfortunately been too common for me to be comfortable with it, that in going through the tours, audio person to the tours, PM to, maybe the T I don't know who and then it gets to our booking person and it comes to RPM and then it gets to me like by the time it's gone through six people stuff gets filtered stuff gets misinterpreted stuff gets forgotten I once got a writer I got two pages out of a six page audio writer and I felt like an asshole when the band showed up and I didn't have all the stuff that was on the writer and you know it wasn't my fault but just you're gonna prevent you know a lot of those types of things from happening if they just you know have that direct contact um, so I think that's I think that's really smart I, I, the other thing that I try to do just because the room that I work in is acoustically hostile. <laughs> I try to, I try to just give them some context for what they're about to walk into because a lot of our stuff has come from like off Broadway or black box or small clubs. And when you bring it into a 700 seat, you know, concert hall with two second reverb, yeah. it's such a shift. And you know, you don't need those four mics on the piano and you don't need those eight floor mics that you had last week in the black box. Um, and I, I definitely, I definitely want to talk about that too. And Kyle, I'd love to hear your kind of thoughts on this as well. Like when you go into a venue, um, Jesse, like you said, the the house person, you're, I, you know, we're really trying to support the touring engineer, whatever they need. But at the same time, like I mix in this room, I know this room, I know the system, I know it better than anybody else because I'm the one who works in this room. And the engineers that don't listen to the house techs, you, you're setting yourself up for a potentially rough time. Um, you know, don't ignore the people who understand the system and understand the room. You know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. No, no matter yeah. what. I mean, when it comes to the audio in the room, I mean, like you said, no one's going to maliciously come in and try to blow up your PAs. It's the inexperience on either side, the house or the mm-hmm. tour that's going to mess with your PA. Um, you know, and I, I think you said a good thing in, the, in your last statement about being the warrior, you know, road warrior. This is the being a house engineer somewhere is the first step in being a mercenary audio person and that's fixing mm-hmm. things on the fly making sure people are happy on the fly making sure things are happening on the fly i mean best of best worlds michael like half the stoner bands that used to come through the venues i was at you were lucky to get a a, a fart in return <laughs> let alone a stage plot or an input list for a tour or a requirement yeah. you know so I think that's where it's really cool is because mercenary audio, I think, makes you amazing because your critical mm-hmm. thinking skills and stuff start going through and you start paging through the books that you've learned in your head while you're trying to fix things in a stressful situation. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes you mellow. I think after a while, you're like, holy cow, I've followed this process so many times. Like, I can get this thing, whatever that TM or PM or audio in, audio dude told me I, I can go and fix this right now um, yep. and being in a good situation at your house too I'm sure 
with a name like the Fillmore, you're not working with duct tape on mic stands, you know, or a lack of <laughs> a lack of things that work sometimes. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, for the most part, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it, to be fair, it is probably a B or C level market. That's not an offense thing; it's just saying. It too. Yeah. So, I mean, just because it has a Fillmore name, it's still a B or C tier market city. Yeah, when we get when we get a level stuff in the Fillmore, it's because they're doing, at least my perception of it, is they're doing a show where they're doing a tour where they want every single night to be sold out the entire tour, and almost almost never does their package truly fit in the room, right. Right. so there's always some rub with that. But High demand uh, at that time, too. So, yeah. Well, that's part of the, that's something that I really enjoy about it, too, is like, Let's talk about what your show is, and let's talk about what our capabilities are as a venue, and yeah. how do we how do we make that show? You know, let's let's do the best version of that show that we can given our our restraints the, here. That's the fun. technical term for that is a uh, ten pounds of shit in a three pound bag. I, believe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, that used to scare the crap out of me at the venue size that we you know work at is a semi pulling up, or two semis pulling up, and we had to dump half of it mm. to the ground to figure out what we were bringing in for them that day mm. you know um mm-hmm. i used to work at a 700 cap venue that slipknot was playing on the first album you know so like it was difficult we did ministry we did four band things with like all the crazy eight piece mm-hmm. everybody had a dj you know what i mean like we we have those yeah we have that coming up next month as a matter of fact yeah yeah, it it's. I'm, I'm I'm curious to see uh, how you. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry, Kyle, I'm gonna cut you off there. Yeah, I just say the same thing every episode, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm curious. Um, you know, um, have you seen? Uh, you said you know, people coming in and like they want they want to tune their system or, or sorry tune your system or you know, t- um, have, have people come in and like. Uh, Maybe like some some stands out like man I've never actually heard the system do X or mm. or things like that like what what are some of those been like eye opening experiences like I, I'm sure you put people who butcher the shit out of things and it sounds awful right but I'm I'm more concerned about you know curious about the people who come in and like man like this rig's never sounded like this or I've never heard someone do something accomplished this this way yeah uh, I mean I'm really glad you asked that because that's kind of honestly the whole uh, that's kind of the whole sticking point of how I ended up. Uh, talking to Michael in all this was uh, me coming into doing sound in this capacity. I didn't know anything about system optimization or smart or, uh, you know, honestly, embarrassingly, I hadn't even really considered coming into this, you know, five, six years ago, the concept of delays or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um and arrival times and all those things. So as I started working in the venue and seeing these engineers come through and I see a guy pull out a measurement microphone, start running smart. I'm looking at him saying, what's, you know, what's going on here? What, what is this guy doing? And, and then secondarily to that, you know, why, why does this show sound so good today? Um, so, uh, you know, we've, we've got this sort of spread, uh, of engineers coming through who sometimes they couldn't care less about what the delays are on anything or what the arrival times are and they're very 
they're very like old school they're just dialing it in by ear or they're not even considering it or they just say oh yeah it sounds pretty good man and they make a couple cuts on their console and then they're away and then we have people who say hey open your open performance manager uh you know for our jbl stuff and i want to hear every driver like pink every driver you know we have the full spread of those things uh which at first as a you know as a house guy you're kind of you're almost again almost out of insecurity when you're especially young in it or new to it you're almost like a little bit defensive like you're mm-hmm. like what does this guy want to hear all the drivers for you know? it's, which is stupid <laughs> how, super how stupid you, learn, though, you like, know you, you open that up for him and all of a sudden you're like whoa he, he, yeah i could do that yeah and it's like this exactly book keeps writing itself every time something like that happens so like the insecurities just go down and down and down like it, it's so fun to even recall yourself doing that that's cool yeah as much as it makes me cringe that i was ever like salty about that i i look at it now and i'm just like i'm so lucky to be getting exposed to this like where these Mm -hmm. you know people are coming through and 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 giving me these different takes on how they approach a system um it's something that actually i even had questions for you guys about uh specifically about like um we have in our room uh delay settings and EQs uh, for the different aspects of the system that we've worked on sort of over and over again. We've revised over and over and over again. And these days I always tell people, you know, here's what we've got. Take a look at it. Listen to it. If you want to change it, it's yours. You're welcome to get into this processor and do anything you want to it as long as you don't, like, clip my amps, you know, you know you can do whatever you want in here and i find that more often than not now that i've sort of opened that book most people don't want to touch it most of our touring engineers they say yeah that's fine and i see them make some cuts on their console like on their left right eq um and they don't ever want to get into our lake and and uh i'm just like i'm curious about that because i've always heard and whether or not this has any weight or not, or uh, whether or not I fully understand it, I can't say, but that if you're EQing at the console level, and then you're also EQing on the processor, that you might be, that might be less than optimal, you know? Um, mm. Like, coming out of well, the... Well, it's, mm-hmm. it's a couple things. So mm-hmm. I know I know Michael, I know Michael's first answer to this is, he talks about this every time, <coughs> um, is that whenever he's system teching, uh, he always leaves smart or the system processor open so that anyone can walk up and see like what's happening at that time, right? And so it's just a hey, open book. Here's what's going on. You know, you know, you know take it or leave it type of thing. Um, in terms of that, um, uh, and, and I think most people, if um, if you show them that you've at least um, uh, thought about the system and we've at least put some effort into doing something about the system. Um, the most likely you're just going to take your take your word for it and be like, okay, I trust it. If you're in this venue every night and you you've gone a little further than just like, here you go, guy. You know um, that they're going to at least lean on that. In terms of like EQing at the console versus the system, I mean, um, you know that that's not there's not right or wrong. You know, I mean. Um, you know, there's like the there's like the art and science side of things, right? So there's like the science of like system teching is supposed to be, you know, um, faithfully reproducing, you know, from uh, 
you know, the system. And then from the console standpoint, some of that EQing at the console is not because of the system EQ, it's because you're actually tonally shaping your mix regardless of the room that you're physically in. Go ahead. So if, if I brought my own console to your room, it'd be different. If I was using a house desk there, it would be different too. Mm-hmm. So if I brought my own desk, I'd ask to see your overlay on the LM44 or your lake, your lake processing. Or, and I'd, I'd take your overlay out to listen to the PA normally. And that's because I have my own desk and I know it's dialed for the show. So I would want to see where the energy is going to be lost with least mm. path of resistance and in, in, in phase as well. Um, I'd much rather have a overlay on your LM than do anything on my console because I'm only going to be there today. Now, if I had the house desk, it might be a little bit different because during the show, I might decide something, oh, I'm using a Midas instead of a Digico or whatever the case may be. Like, I might have a little thing that is different coming out of your console but yeah I, I'd, I'd mess with your overlay first before I mess with anything at the desk if I was carrying and then I'd have to see and the cool thing about like all the brands of speakers out there we've talked about this on the show before is everything sounds fairly good nowadays mm-hmm. and the processing is fairly easy for everyone to access and look at what's going on at the stuff um, so experience engineer be able to go oh performance manager and and you'll look at it and you'll go okay this looks about right and you'll probably have to take one walk Mm. and then you can start making your adjustments or none and and that's cool that you guys are there with that i will say the one thing so like if i were a touring person coming to your room uh i noticed looking pictures so you have jbl 88s right are there 88s which the 88s most people don't realize or may or may not know this uh they're aluminum high drivers as opposed to the beryllium so the 87s and the 89s were beryllium's so the high ends of the 88 sound different than the rest of the vertex line so if i were coming in to that room i'd be very curious to what the high end was doing in that room and how it sounds different than than other than other drivers like that'd be an area like waveguides wave too so they, they change out those waveguides when performance manager was released with the new crown stuff too so all the 87, 88, 89s all got new waveguides so it might even be different then too um yeah, so anyway, so th- those are like things that, again, depending on people's knowledge or experience of, of a particular box or whatever, um, uh, they're going to have different preferences. I I don't know if Michael has something else about this. I have uh, – I want to – go ahead, Michael. But I no, go ahead. Up. Say your thing. Well, no, so I, 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 maybe this parlays into a little bit, but um, – uh, so y- you had made a post, uh, and I kind of wanted to talk about this. So, like, you had made a post about you did like a screenshot of like, hey, uh, just out of curiosity, here's three listening positions, you know, averaged out. Uh, wh- what do you guys think about this? Um, and I wanted to talk about that concept, not just from you posting it, but just in general, right? Like, mm. whether it's the smart user group or mm. whether it's any Facebook group or, or LinkedIn or whatever. Um, you know, people post these things and, and it's kind of become somewhat of a joke of like, hey, how does this sound, right? Um, right but as Jamie says, look how good that sounds. Yeah. Right, right. But I know I, I, you can tell typically where people are coming from. A couple things like there's a difference I think in some people when they post it versus others. Um, I'm curious for Michael, yeah. If if you were to see posts like this, because you asked questions in the comments to, to drill into this, um, if anybody's ever going to post a picture of Smart and say uh, and ask a question, um, 
Is everyone all right? <laughs> Apparently, my dog's out there knocking shit over. Apparently, it's just, um, you know, the, you know, context is everything, right? And so I yep. think, like, like for instance, like you did a good job of saying, hey, like these are three listening positions, um, and you, you, you dug further of like um, uh, whether they were on axis or not, and how far away from the PA you were, and like, and, like things like that. And um, it, there's there and. You know, I, I, I understand and know that you're newer to the industry, newer to smart, right? So there has to be a way for you in your little town or whatever to be able to ask these things on a public forum and get good feedback without people just, like, ripping your head off and being like, oh, you know, this doesn't mean anything. You know, so, Michael. Yeah. Anyone who's ever going to post a picture of, of a smart screen, what are some of the things that people should think about when they ask context about a particular thing about it? Or, or yeah, 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 sure. I, 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 that's a great question. I want to I wanna just kind of throw in my two cents on the venue, sure. coming into the venue thing, too. Um, like I said earlier, if you don't at least start with what the house person has, you're being a fool because they know that system better than anybody else. That's one, right? Um, number two, I think... Jesse, my, my response to, like, where should the EQ go? Like, so I, I recently, uh, I SE'd for Wayne Pauley. And so he said, just time it, time it, level it out, and then hand it over. So, you know, my thing is, when I'm standing in front versus at front of house versus out on the lawn, do all those areas have the same tonality to them? Like, I'm dealing with variance over the space and timing, right? So as I walk around the venue, is it consistent? I go, yeah, now it's consistent. Here you go, Wayne. And now he pulls up his EQs. And he puts his music on, and he goes through in 90 seconds and sets the tonality to something that he's happy with. So um, in that case, those EQs are serving different purposes. He's, he's listening to the tonality of the system to get it to reproduce the signal that he's sending it the way that he wants. And I am dealing with, yeah, but when we go down front, it's a little bright because of the, you know, and so I'm, I'm dealing with that, right? So so they're not, they're not opposed to each other. We're working for different purposes. That would be my response. Um, so... Um, I knew when you posted that screenshot, for example, that that was a three-way box, that it was an older three-way box. Um, the 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 cardinal sin will get a, a support ticket like once a month, right? And it'll just it'll just be a phase trace, no magnitude, no coherence, no live IR, and I'll go like, how's my sub alignment? Like I don't know, like you you didn't send it right, so like all of that information is on the screen by default for a reason, right? So I, I think that, that what we're talking about here is context, Chris, like. Um, you know, I can show you three systems that look exactly the same on Analyzer. I can make three systems look exactly the same on Analyzer and sound totally different, right? So we can't get into this um, illusion that, well, it looks good on the screen, so the system's going to sound great. That's not That's not what is, you, you know, your MRI can look fine. You can still die of a heart attack the next day, right? So that's, that's not what we're doing here. But to an experienced user, there are some indicators of certain things. I can tell you how far away from the PA you were. I can tell you how reverberant the space is. I can tell you if it's a two-way or a three-way. I can tell you a little bit about probably the driver configuration. So so I, 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 th- I don't think it's either or. I think the biggest mistake that people make is removing context. Like if you're just posting a screenshot of a measurement, you've, you've already removed a lot of context, right? Um, I usually ask people to send me the actual trace file because I don't want to see it with just one smoothing. I don't want to see it with just your, you know, your, your particular configuration. I want the data. I've already lost the context of being in the room, being able to hear the system, and being able to look at the system. Um, what's wrong with my PA? I go, well, I'll take a guess based on this, but I, if I can't see your rig and hear your rig, I'm guessing, right? Um, but uh, again, it's, it's, it's a diagnostic tool. It brings information to the table. Ideally, you're interpreting that with 
stuff that you're seeing with and stuff that you're hearing and uh, but sometimes we don't have that luxury. Um, so yeah, I, I think what I would tell people to do is is here's an easy one, right? Um, we got this awesome question the other day and they said, look, I took this measurement of version seven and I ported the data into version eight and it doesn't look the same. Why doesn't it look the same? That's a great question because it should look the same, right? It, it's, it should, it, we, we shouldn't be spitting out different, different curves because you upgraded your version. Um, turns out they were identical if you match the aspect ratios, the graphs and match the smoothing, right? So, so we can distort, we've all seen the speaker spec sheets where they just compress the vertical scale. Perfect example on, okay, Midas Pro Series. On the EQ, that first division on the graph is plus minus ten or plus minus twelve or something like yeah, it's that. Yeah, Right. So it, yeah. So it looks like you're. People go, wow, those EQs are really potent. Like I don't have to use as much. I'm like, yeah, yeah exactly. So if you look at another desk, it might be plus minus yep. six. So you put the same curve into both desks. They don't look the same. Right. So so you can distort. You can change the window size or zoom in or out on your vertical axis. You can use different smoothing. I mean, there's all stuff you can do. Spec sheets love to play this game. Well, we'll use more smoothing and make the speaker look like it's a flatter response. Or just compress the vertical scale and yeah. make the speaker look like it's right. So, so explain so, the access, too. So you did yeah. the three access things. How can you tell if it's on or off access? You can't from just looking at the, the screen, right? Uh, probably not. Um, I mean, so when we move off access of a loudspeaker, the first thing you're going to lose is high frequency. Just like right? microphone. So, just so yeah, it's exactly the same idea. Yeah, so you start getting off the edge of the horn before you get off the edge of the woofer, and you, you know the woofer has less directionality. So yeah, um, it was it was interesting. I did, Samantha Potter was doing this thing. This was probably three years ago at this point. She was out tuning a, a thing in a ballroom, and I said, "Hey, call me on Zoom and share your smart screen, and don't tell me anything else." And so what I wanted to see is could I tell where she was in the room? Could I tell what system she was working on? I could tell when she was near a wall, Nerf. like you know. And, and so, yeah. Well, it's it's an interesting exercise because, well, here's why this matters. Here's why this matters. You go. Let me t let me let me uh, let me go measure my front fill. Put your mic down by your front fill. We just did this in class the other day. And and all right, turn the front fill on. Set your delay time. Delay time came out to 38 milliseconds. And our student says, "Wait, hold on. That doesn't seem right." Yeah. Right. So if you're measuring your front fill and you're nine foot from the box and your delay time comes out to 85 milliseconds, that's an indicator that, hey, you should probably stop. And so there are two types of people. There are people that just will go through that because they're not paying attention to the context. Right. right. And there are people that will go, wait, that doesn't make sense. So there's more than you think in that data that's being presented to you if you know how to spot it. I think it's when people people are blind. I mean, I'm going to turn off coherence. I'm going to turn off phase. I'm going to turn off live IR, and I'm going to just smooth the shit out of the magnitude trace. Well, why then, you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, don't hide details from yourself. That's I, there to help you. I think you guys, you know, I mean, I guess I don't know who all was specifically involved in the educational aspect of what smart or what rational acoustics offers, but I think that a really great job was done with just starting with those basics of, of saying like, hey, this is this is just here for you to capture data points and it's not telling you anything out of context. Um, and I like that you guys lead with that in the educational aspect at Rational Acoustics. That's I mean, you, you've, you've probably heard Jamie. Jamie loves to say, like, you know, people say, oh, some guy came in and smarted my system and it sounded worse when he left. And that's just like, you, so you know, you, you didn't hire someone to come over and black and decker your house. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, so. the, the we've we've had it a million. That's another thing about being a house guy. We've had it a million times where somebody pulls out a measurement microphone and a laptop and they start doing all kinds of crazy shit. And you're like, 
I think this guy pirated smart and has no idea what's going on in here. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, it's like, you know, I mean, I like to say my mom could download smart right now if she wants. Right? There, there's nothing stopping you from saying, I want to get involved in this. I want to start learning that. That doesn't mean you're going to make good decisions at first. Right? There's, there's no gatekeeping on the decision making. And that's a good thing that also sometimes means that it can be a bad thing because you can, you can make bad decisions based on the data or not pay attention to the data or not understand the data. Um, I, again, I, I don't want to, I don't think I want to be a part of a process where the computer is making the decisions. Um, you know, we have context that think about being in the back row of a baseball stadium and what you expect that measurement to look like and what that sounds like, right? The, the, you could build the greatest auto EQ in the world. It doesn't have the context of like, yeah, that coherence is shit, but I would expect it when I'm 180 feet back from the, you know what I mean? Like, like we as humans just apply all of our context and there's so much artistic stuff like, yeah, usually I do this, but because of the nature of the show tonight, I'm going to do this instead. All of that we bring to the table, all of our human experience and our sensitivity to the, to the, the music and the you know the vibe that we're going there's so much that plays into that more than it's not it's not like a hey make a magical flat line on the screen so um i think i think it's a slippery slope when you are in a place where the software is telling you what to do i don't think that's helpful um and i think there's a lot of pitfalls that you can really fall into so i think it's again it's just hey this is just like everything else this is like the signal meter on your console it's telling you something what you do with that information is up to yeah. you. you know? I, I guess the, the big thing I wanted to maybe get at was I, I don't want to completely discourage people from posting screenshots or having conversations no, because people need a place to talk yeah. about it. It's yeah. more about just making sure you're giving as much context as you could possibly give in. Everything right. from speaker type, how far, how, how, you know, where it's flown or where it's ground stacked or how far you're measuring, like as much context mm-hmm. as possible, including coherence, including uh, impulse response, including like all of like live IR, all those things. Um, it, it, it's when you said like, yeah, if someone you know basically phases off, you know, coherence is off, and all you see is you know magnitude, and it's like, wow, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. part of it, is, so so you can also like again, I love I love to use my mother as an example because she's a smart woman, she's a teacher, she just has zero context for and like. She likes my voice. She loves Chris's voice. She always says, "Oh yeah, I love Chris." She tells me all the time. Uh, <laughs> but but she doesn't. So if like if she can understand something, that's a good sort of benchmark for me, right? So. You know, it's, 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 I talked about it before. My first measurement rig was Rumi Q Wizard and the fucking USB mic from Rock Band 2, right? And, and so, like, don't go tune a system with that. But it's really easy to see, like, hey, I took 15 measurements around my venue and one looks totally different than the other ones. Well, it probably fucking sounds different over there, too, right? So <laughs> my mom can look at that data and go, oh, one of these things is not like the other. Hey, we just bought 14 boxes of line array and we just put them all on the table and measured them one at a time, and that one looks totally different. Yeah. Well, that one's probably broken, right? So, um, part of this is just that initial like gut check. Wait, this doesn't match. That that is a really really powerful thing because, like I said, our whole job is uniformity, right? So, if it looks totally different in a spot, it probably sounds totally different in a spot, and you don't have to be an expert in interpreting the data to see that. So, so even even the most basic stuff, if you go like, look, I don't know how to read the face trace, but that one's totally angry about something. Like, you can tell when it's upset, right? So um, I, I think that's a lot of it. And I think the other thing that people um, often overlook is this concept of I need uh, an expectation when I take a measurement. So you're sitting in your house, and your, your lights are flickering, and you're like, I hope my power's okay. Let me go check it. 
I'm gonna get a voltmeter. I'm gonna go plug it in my outlet, and it comes out and it says 98. Okay, I don't know if that's okay or not okay because I don't know. I have to know what the what it should say, in order to know if it's broken. So you need an expectation. If you don't know that 98 is not where within the range of normal healthy household power here in the United States, you don't that test didn't serve any purpose for you, right? So inherent in taking a measurement is you have an expectation because you're trying to answer a question, right? So I think that's something that people don't think about as much. You know, we do the AMAs every month, right? You can I mean we can come they're free you just come and ask your questions and the question that we get literally every month is where do i put my measurement mic what are you trying to measure yeah if, if you if you start with a question now gee i wonder if the left matches right okay well now you know where to put your measurement right because you know what the question is if you just start i'm gonna go out and measure shit like that's cool <laughs> but yeah you know, the, that's a lot of what you're talking about chris is part of the context that you have to say is hey i was trying to make sure that x is what like why are we doing this right yep so go ahead, jesse Without uh, hopefully dragging you too far down the rabbit hole of things that don't pertain to being a house guy, uh, I guess this is relevant. But uh, we were we were trying to measure our wedges and just get mm-hmm. some concept of what was happening on stage. Uh, and you know we run some pink noise through the wedges and measure them in a couple of different positions, close, maybe at head height, uh, and then back uh, further on the stage from the wedge. Uh, just to see what kind of that energy is doing across the stage. And then it occurred to me that uh, I need to be putting this into the split and playing it out of the PA if I'm going to measure this because it's going to be in the house. Like, what am I measuring? I'm measuring the wedge, and, and, and sure, there's something to be learned there, I guess, but there's never going to be a time where this is just... Uh, you know, just them hearing something only in the wedge, and it won't be in the house. Uh, well, it depends. Again, it just goes back to Michael's thing. It depends on what it is you're trying to measure, right? So, I mean, if you're trying to measure, um, uh, yes, what a what a vocal mic sounds like in house MP at the same time, or if you're just trying to get the tonal response of that wedge, then no, you wouldn't want it through the house system. Well, that's yeah. that's I it mean, right there. Like, what's the point of this exercise? So, I did a gig last night. Right, four wedges on stage. I got a key wedge in front of house. So, I've I've two things number one is i want the wedges to just have the same tonal response as my pa yeah. which is basically neutral because i'm mixing from front of house so if the eq sounds good in the pa then i can put that in a wedge and it should come out sounding pretty much good there too right that's number one number two do all the wedges match don't take for granted that they do because i will bet that they may not like we did a, a thing a couple years ago and i had nine wedges on stage and they were literally all different yeah. every single fucking wedge was different so i kept going I don't know why this guy's complaining because it sounds totally fine in my Q wedge. Well, his wedge sounded nothing like my Q wedge. So day two, we came in and we just zipped them all in real quick. You know what I mean? So, so that's the thing. I we we did one on stage. I EQ'd it until it was tonally where I wanted it to be, and then I copied and pasted that. And I said to my tech on stage, I said, "I'm going to put something on. I want you to walk on the stage and make sure they all sound the same." So, right? That's that's the role of measurement there, as, as I'm just removing those variables, and then. Yeah, absolutely. When we go to check the lead vocal and get that nice and hot in his monitors before the before the musician shows up, yeah, we did that with the house PA on. Because there's no situation he's going to be in where he's on stage and the house isn't going. So we open the house up. We open all the other wedges up. His vocal's all over the place on the stage because that's how it's going to be during the show. Yeah, so again, it's, it's really informed by what, what are we trying to learn here, you know? 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, like you could, like for instance, if you if you want to take a vocal mic, you could actually use a vocal mic as your as your as your reference microphone, um, and yes, turn noise on through the wedges, through the PA, and everything. And you're uh, and then you're going to see how much of the system is is getting into the microphone at that point, right? And you could do some corrective EQ to to, to do things like that, or you know, as a like if I was a house guy, you know, once. I don't know. Uh, Isn't that a uh, song uh, from uh, Fiddler on the Roof? <laughs> if it was a house guy? No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Worst you know, joke of the night. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, like, like, like quality control, right? So, like, once a week, once a month, once a whatever, you know, like you said, you know, pink each wedge, make sure that mm-hmm. they're all, you know, um, yeah. you know, they're all, you know, a, a, you know, you would, you know, especially if you have an average trace of what they typically look like, which you can store and keep, right? Um, you can see if like your high drivers start losing, you know, losing life across yeah. a couple months. That's you know, a great um, idea. Uh, yeah. You know, the the difference of. I don't know your your wedge being on the floor, the half space loading is going to get that low end build up versus being up as a fill for a drum or a side fill. There's going to be a difference in how the low end reacts, and just mentally knowing how your wedge responds in it, you know, or putting well, a pair a pair of wedges, you know, and seeing how even they the cou- bigger one, Chris, the, you're a modern engineer. The huge one is I'm handing these in ears to my artist every night. I can't put them in my ears. How do I make sure that I'm handing them in ears that aren't broken every time? TM2. Yeah. Right? So TM2, right? So something like that. uh, Or the, you know, there's a couple things on the market that can measure that. And so I don't care what the tonal response of those IMs comes out looking like. I don't care. But what I do care is that when I measure it once a month, it always looks the same. And if it doesn't, then we're going to have a conversation about what's going on. Yeah, earwax problems. Yeah. you could very easily see what two wedges do when they're directly behind a microphone, like you know, backed up side by side, or split, right? You know, change yeah. out that change out that vocal mic to a hypercardioid or a cardioid. Leave the wedges in place, and you'll very you know uh, you'll see the difference yeah. in in what's coming in the microphone. Dope. So like those are, again, all, what are you trying to measure? Yeah. Um, all comes is is, is a question through through all of that. Good answer. I like that. Yeah. I like that reference. That's yeah. Well, it's, it's like uh, I like to talk about when you go to Harbor Freight and you buy the 112 in one tool sets, right? Like, and you're like, I'm going to use seven things out of this ever and I'm never going to use the other whatever. But that's not the point. Like, a modern measurement software is the same thing. It does a bunch of shit. So you need to come at it from what am I trying to learn and is, how, how do I use this tool to help me answer that? That's as far as it goes. And it's really funny to watch, you know, when you were talking, Jesse, about all these people that come into your house, like, that is such a valuable experience for me. I know how I approach doing a system. I know how Jamie does it. I know how Bob would do it. I know how Pat would do it. But you got four people a week coming in. I want to just see what they do and see how they work through it. And, man, it's really interesting, the tricks you learn. And even if you watch an approach and go, well, I don't think I want to do that. Like, there's some value in that, too. I just love seeing how people approach this and what they're listening for and what they're looking for. And that's a really cool way to learn stuff. So um, I, I I really enjoy that part of it. But, but you know, the what got me on that train of thinking was – when I go watch a friend work, they might use four four features out of this whole software suite that does a bunch of stuff. They might go, well, these are the fucking four things I know how to do, and that's all they needed to do, and that's totally fine. So it's it's okay to take the, you know, you just got your certificate. That's cool. Um, if you end up in the field using these same four functions all the time, that's all you need to do your job. That's fine. It, it It's a tool to help you do your job. It's nothing more than that, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. What is some of the coolest bands 
that you were able to mix <laughs> at the club being the house person uh, that have, I knew that have was turned coming. into something and now they're back with an engineer and you're like, damn, I used to mix those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, yeah. So um, some stuff that stands out. One of my first monitor gigs uh, that I ever did as a house engineer uh, when I knew absolutely nothing was uh, the Gin Blossoms. Oh, yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah. yeah. And what they, a cool band. They have their front house um, engineer basically comes on stage, walks up to every microphone, calls every frequency. I could have been a robot or a monkey or whatever. It wouldn't have mattered who I was. He made everything perfect and great for them. I basically just moved faders. Um, but it was a great gig. I I actually didn't connect the dots on who they were until they started playing. Uh, and then I realized, like, holy shit, I know this band. Yep. And I grew up listening to all this stuff. And uh, so that was really cool. I always remember that. Uh, things that I've actually mixed um, that are interesting. Uh, I love Flying Lotus's label, Brain Feeder Records. Uh, and when they came through, I got to mix with openers for that, so I really enjoyed that uh, day. Um, there's, it's, it's funny because I think people ask me this a lot when they, they're like, oh, you work at a music venue, and uh, it does kind of all like wash together a little bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, those, are, those are some standout ones for sure. Um, is, is there, uh, what's your favorite place to eat near the venue? Favorite place to eat near the venue? Well, you're working. I, so, I mean, we're all coming down. We're coming down on a bus to visit you. Yeah, we got a bus in now. Charlotte. Thanks, Alan. And we're gonna get an E350. We're gonna rent an E350. Yeah, with a big picture Holly on the side. Thanks, Jeff. Um, yeah. Free so low. where where, where would you where where <laughs> where would you take us to eat? Uh, if we were if we were in Charlotte, uh, probably go to probably go to uh, Let's Meet. It's a it's a Korean barbecue place. Yeah. You know, if you've been to Korean barbecue, <laughs> you know what it is. Uh, I love that's Korean that's barbecue. my current jam. Uh, I, I like to I like to play on words there. Do, do you? Yeah. Uh, How is it spelled? Is it M E A T? Yeah, it's M E A T. Yeah, do you, do you cook it yourself it. Yeah. on the little hibachi thing in front of you. Oh. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's <laughs> good. They have great soju. It's a cool place. Uh, there's an Indian place too, but it's it's a little further, so I don't know if it'd be in the striking distance of Charlotte. Well, when you're when everyone's in the 350, curry is always in striking yeah. distance, in my books. Yeah, <laughs> Sangam, Sangam cuisine. Shout out to Sangam Indian buffet. That's that would probably be choice number one. Yeah. Honestly, it's about 30 minutes. Yeah, away. hey Sangam, yeah. get my man Jesse some free buffet passes. <laughs> I'm coming down. Chris, yeah. are you like doing paperwork over there right now? Sorry. Doing? No. I, 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 it's I, cool. I, We're just talking about house guy stuff, so he's getting a little, you know. No, 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 no. no. I, I, I have a stack of things to be prepared for for like arm's reach. And I don't know. My, my mind was like ADD over here looking through them. And so, and so, so I'm going to do another arm. Full, filling out forms? What is he doing? He's doing his taxes. So. Yeah, so, so <laughs> I, I like I like um uh, you know not uh, not as a person attending shows but as working shows I try to uh, you know one of the things I collect is set list um just because it's yeah. just a it's just a fun thing to hang on to so I was scrolling through some of them right so um, I'm gonna hide the last song here um, so this is um uh, I, I did a gig with a uh, Jimmy Van Zant 
which Ooh, he, yeah. <laughs> which he passed actually a couple couple years ago. Um, but um, there was this like small like love shack um, um, resort place up in the Poconos that we that we used to do like sound for every every year a couple or, like a couple times a year. Uh, anyway, Jim, he he basically he rides the um, um, oh damn, what's the band? Um, Sweet Home Alabama. Um, Leonard Skinner. Yeah, so he's he's like he's part of that family, but he's like a right. cousin or something like that. Like you know, anyway. Um, and of course, the, the the last song is "Freebird," so mm-hmm. it's like one of the gigs where like it's okay to like yell "Freebird" like during yeah. the show. They're gonna do um, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if was, you ever go see Blue Man Group in Boston, I've done that. Hold, hold okay. on, hold on, hold Wait, on. If you no, no, you no. have a set list from no, Blue Man, I have a playbill right here, right here from 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 Boston. Okay, perfect. So if you if no one yells "Freebird." The lighting tech will lean out the window and yell "Freebird" at that point in the show because it's part of the show that someone will yell "Freebird," but they almost never have to do it because someone always yells it. So the funny thing is, so um, I know a guy uh, who I worked with a guy. He was actually one of the house sound guys there for for some time, um, and um, there's like Charles a, you know, Playhouse, yeah. Um, and uh, and so we were in town doing a corporate gig, and he was like, "Hey, you know, uh, I got his tickets to go see Blue Man." I'm like, "Cool, cool." So. Uh, so they always pick a couple people out of the crowd uh, to come up and be part of the show, you know, do- during the show, and the- and they knew like he was coming or whatever, right? So they came up to our seats and they like, like tap on him and they, they would tell some head to him. I, was- I told him I was like the fuck no, it's like you you've mixed this show before. No, no, I I'm gonna be a part of the show. Like no, 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 no. And and so like during the show, I got to come up there and I don't know, be a be a part of the show. Like I was part of the- one of the gags or whatever. But uh, so it's so funny you mentioned that. And then I have the freaking. It's a great show, right man. If, anyway, if you're in Boston. Go to the Charles Playhouse, see the Blue Man Group. It's, it's a riot. Um, all right, uh, Chris, I think it's time, man. Yeah, man, Jesse. So I know you're young, uh, but um, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? Yeah, uh, yeah. I know you guys always ask people this, and it it's really show. interesting to me because, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, fanboy nerd. Yeah, I know what the question you. is. Uh, but uh, it's kind of interesting because you guys asking that has kind of made me realize that um, how special what we do is how how kind of lucky we are to do it um, and it's helped me come full circle back to like how I got be- how I got into this to begin with which was just you know uh, in my instance loving music you know, obviously we all do different, we do corporate gigs and these type of things, but for me it was music first, and, uh, and, uh, it's just, I've always felt like music was sort of this, like, engine for personal change, social change, uh, just, you know, uh, just, just this thing that, that's sort of this intangible, uh, like, force that's really important to people, and I'm just happy to be a part of it, uh, and, I'm happy to have like found a home among, among uh, like-minded people, like, and have a career doing that. And I feel like, extremely grateful for that. So, uh, I just like kind of want to pass that on. You know, I I I know a lot of people uh, from working in other industries who sort of maybe they work really hard and they're really talented, really skilled, really uh, you know incredible uh, people who maybe they just didn't get a shot to do something like this uh and so like i just want to kind of pass that on and and just help uh 
both bring people into this industry and then also continue working hard inside of this industry to uh, deliver great show experiences uh, to everyone, you know? Cool. Uh, awesome. And I just, and also just want to be a great person to work with. I want people to uh, be better than, uh, I want I want them to feel better than when they, when they came in to wherever I was at. You know, I'd I'd love to say, just to wrap it up, man, the house audio and lighting and production managers are the unsung heroes of our industry. Like, I really think at some point that there should be articles because there were days on tour that I was looking forward to a dude like Jesse walking into a venue and going, bro, I got to tell you a story about last night. Our <laughs> yeah, sometimes we're the emotional support engineers yeah. for sure. And, and yeah. seeing the same, it, like that's the consistency even touring people need as they go, hey, I'm going to the House of Blues in Orlando. I'm going to see a bunch of friends. I'm going to the Fillmore in Philly. I'm going to see a bunch of friends. Like it becomes a family because we start seeing mm-hmm. the same people over and over and they're like, Oh, weren't you guitar teching for so-and-so last time? Now you're with these. Oh, yeah, hey, what's up, man? Like, we're glad to be back. That makes the day worth everything. So shout out mm-hmm. to Jesse and all the unsung heroes of the house staff because touring folk need you. Welcome back. We're, yeah. we're back on the stage. Yeah. Well, th- yeah. thank you. I, I Yeah, I hope that, uh, I hope that when... I'm on the road. I can meet my current self and not my former self because I know there were days that I was the grumpy house guy, and <laughs> I, I don't want to be that guy anymore. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks for uh, thanks for thanks chatting for with us. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah. For real. Appreciate you guys. That's awesome. Yeah.